gentlemen and otherwise, I would like to welcome you to How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. I am your host, Kelly KFM Meyer, and I consider myself lucky that any of you are even here. In January 2020, I began writing a book outlining all the gory mistakes that I had made since my wife and I founded our brewery eight years earlier. The second edition of that book is at 57,000 words and available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback formats. Please check it out, pick it up, read it, and share it with a friend. The show is the same name as that book simply because my goal here is to help my guests to experience the same catharsis I did after laying my story out in public, and because I know that the lessons I wrote about were only the tip of an enormous iceberg. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe, like, write a review, share with a friend. Trust me, it all really helps. In this podcast, I will interview people in and around the beer business to uncover the mistakes, the pitfalls, and the hardships that all of us poor souls in the brewing industry have had the misfortune to experience. My guests will autopsy dead and dying breweries, break down the science of brewing, and dissect the art of marketing. I'll talk to distributors, retailers, beer writers, even a fan or two. Hell, I'll shove a mic in front of anyone I think can make you better in your business. This is open and honest conversation packed with emotion and sincerity, and hopefully, a little bit of fucking vulgarity. I want to thank you for joining my guests and I on this journey, and I truly hope together that we are able to teach you and your loved ones how not to start a damn brewery. John Culp was a minority investor in Audacity Brewhouse up in Denton, Texas. Towards the end of Audacity's lifespan, luckily he had started a mobile canning company that he still runs today. Like many of us misguided souls, he had always dreamed of owning a brewery, but he knew he didn't have the time to devote to it. So he settled for being a volunteer around the brewery, particularly on canning day. Eventually, Audacity needed money, and he was given the opportunity to invest. The brewery needed a bunch of cash and targeted around three hundred grand at a valuation of $7.5 million. Which is not only not accurate, it's a really fucking way the hell off. So only a week after he sunk his cash in, the brewery laid off the entire staff. Which basically meant that John had just bought himself a job at a 10-barrel brewery. Only one without a 401k, fancy insurance package, or even a damn paycheck. And I was like, oh shit, what, what have I gotten into? What I learned about Audacity is it was all family, money, and friends. And they started this brewery with three hundred and thirty, I think, thousand dollars total. Total, yeah. right? They did all the construction themselves as much as possible. Um, I mean, it was very grassrooty kind of brewery. Um, used equipment from all over the country, stuff like that. So. Hmm. Do you know what they what, what they had as far as like the equipment size brew house and stuff like that? Yeah, it was a it was a ten barrel brew house, and uh, they had, and it was an open top mash tun. They did have a grits mill, and they had a grits case. Um, it was all sacks, of course. At one point, they did get a grain silo, and we'll get how that we'll get how that got there later. But um, <laughs> it was all manifolds. There was nothing automatic i mean uh you had the the, the mash tun then you of course you had the, the brew kettle um they had their knockout um, heat, heat heat exchanger and right uh, that hlt that was direct fire that leaked um, never really had a good clt but they should have <laughs> i don't really know they just use city water yeah the um then then they had five ten barrel firms um two 20 barrel firms and then a single wall jacket bright tanks inside the walking cooler so no glycol um, 
at all? No, no, no glycol bright tanks. They were only huh. on the walk-in. So luckily the 20 barrels, uh, firms and everything was a unit tank. So we could carbonate inside the tank and, uh, and, and package out of there. But so the, uh, you would carbonate inside the tank that when it was warm? Or no, no, no. They were Every, in the cooler? Everything was, no, we didn't use, we really hardly ever packaged out of the bright tanks. Okay. Just because in the walk-in, I mean, with what I do now, I understand a whole lot more. We'll talk about beer dudes later, but the you can't can beer at 37 degrees. And it, it's just damn near impossible. So we always had to package out of the out of the uh, firms. Uh, we okay. would package out of the brights, but you had to leave the door open to get out of the walk-in cooler. I mean, it was a it was a real disaster, right? You couldn't get it cold enough. No, you just couldn't get it cold enough. Breakout would happen. Tons of low fills, a lot of loss, wasting cans, you know, stuff like that. That's a lesson a lot of people don't know, so it'll be interesting to get into that later. Do you remember like how many beers you guys made? I know the core lineup was pretty straight, right? The primary lineup or the, or the mainline beers were going to be um, Sunset, which is a Vienna style lager. That was their main beer. Then we had uh, a pale ale called Bulletproof. Then we had a session a session IPA called Boss Raptor. There's Repercussion. It's kind of like a Shiner Bocky beer uh, called Repercussion. Then they had Seasonals. But they were oh the other mainline beer which it came out about the same time as not your father's root beer was Eel Cream Soda. I remember that and one. And that was a wicked beer, man. I mean, technically it was a beer, but it really wasn't a beer. It was candy. A lot of two-row, very minimal hops, uh, fermented out really dry and clean, but then back-sweetened with uh, non-fermentable sugar and vanilla to make cream soda. And I really thought that was going to be the exciting beer because I was coming up with ways to change it, make it like a shot beer where you could have a fun beer, put some grenadine with it, maybe make it taste like Big Red or something like that. A cocktail mixer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the can art for that was just off the charts. I still have that can. Do you? I do. In fact, on my Jeep outside, we had stickers made for it. It's, there's still a picture of what that little sticker was and the, and the logo for that. It was, it was probably one of the coolest cans I think I've seen. Yeah, so it's interesting, and I, I didn't, I, I can't really tell you why, but I, I can't, so first of all, I can't stand, personally, the tastings at grocery stores. Like, the entire right. concept of it, I hate doing them, I hate being pitched by people. It's normally the, the lower end shit that isn't moving, and that's why they're there pitching it, whatever the case. But for some reason, so I was at, and I don't remember my daughter or my son's soccer game in Round Rock, and we went to that H-E-B, and for some reason, I allowed that girl to sample me the beer. And I was in a hurry to get back to the car. So it's literally probably one of only twice in my life I've ever actually sampled the beer from someone standing on the end cap, and it happened to be Audacity stuff. And as first time I'd ever had it, full, full disclosure, also the last, I never really saw it around, I never, never saw it again. But I thought it was all pretty decent stuff. So, Well, you know what's funny? When you said that you sampled it at HEB, for a second I was going, oh shit, was that me? Yeah, right. <laughs> because after the investment and getting to know everybody and seeing the transition of the company and watch it go up and down and up and down, we had a salesperson that was in Austin, covering Austin from Denton. And then I just looked at him and I'm like, why the hell are we doing this? I live here. I'm in Austin every other week. And we're, our distributor, which is also now gone, Texas Barrel House. Oh, that was your distributor? Yeah, yeah. I did know that, actually. I was with yeah. them as well. So. Yeah, that was... Here's what's interesting. It was us, Rabbit Hole, Three Nations, Shannon. I think there was one more in the beer side. There was a cider there, too. But, yeah, there was also... Um, there was this one... 
Absolution Ale out of California. Somehow they picked him. I never even heard of this brewery. They went away, but Barrel House was like, we're going to launch these guys. Talk about a shit show. Barrel House at the end? Wow. I mean, it's crazy. Crazy. That, yeah. that would be... that. Would, <laughs> they put a lot of blame on a lot of things except themselves, but... Yeah, yeah, I actually like Brett quite a bit, but um, yeah. obviously had some problems on the... And it's a challenging industry, but he had some problems on the cash flow side. Yeah. Um, staffing was kind of an issue for him, I think, for a while, too. The, the last GM he brought in was the one that... And I forget his name, but he's the only one that I looked at him and... You know, I, I don't I don't sugarcoat much, but when he confronted me about something, I, I told him basically to, you know, jump in an effing lake. And, and this is not true, and, and, and you're wrong. And whenever I said... You know, I basically said, you're lying. It was a very interesting 8 o'clock morning meeting drinking beer about something that was going on. So that's another day. So I was doing sales for Audacity here. And well, I say here. I'm in New Braunfels now. But in Round Rock when I was there. And I was doing tastings at some of the AGBs for Barrel House. And uh, it was a unique deal. I had a lot of fun doing it. And because I could say, hey, I can't go home until I sell all this beer. My wife... My wife wants to eat dinner tonight or something. I, right. I just made up jokes. I mean, but I, I'm very personal. I like talking to people. I can talk to anybody at the grocery store. I don't care. But it was kind of disheartening, though, to see someone take a six-pack from you. And when you're leaving the store, you see where they, like, hit it somewhere. Because <laughs> I'm not, they're like, I'm not buying this shit. I'm like, all right, whatever. Just trying to be nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they hard to say no. Which doesn't help your case at all. No. You need to move it. That was the whole point. <laughs> right, right. So you mentioned the uh, labeling, and we were going to get there next anyways. Mistake one in my book is focus on quality over marketing slash branding, meaning that when I first started, the biggest problem that I ran into, or I guess I ran into a lot of them, but one of the biggest problems I ran into was out of the gates, I thought that the best beer would always win. And that as long as I spend time perfecting the recipe, hitting the targets that needed to be hit, that the consumers would take one taste and be like, holy fucking shit, this is the beer I've been waiting for my whole life. I've been stuck drinking German Hefeweizen forever, and I just wish Kelly had made one earlier. (laughs) And I learned very quickly that that is not the case. And so uh, when we go back to the branding side, I do think that that is a very, very important part of building a a business in general. But specifically in beer, I feel like people are looking at the label long before they're looking at what's inside and tasting it. Yeah. And Audacity, if I remember correctly, had some pretty kick-ass artwork. Maybe that came before you, but do you know some of the story on how that came about? I do. We had a marketing company actually in Denton that somehow... Scott and Doug befriended, and that marketing company did all of our can artwork. Now, you're thinking, why does a brand new brewery that started with $300,000 is already trying to raise more money going to do can art for all their mainline beers, and it's not shrink sleeves? We started in sleeves, or they started in sleeves, but they went straight for painted cans. So we're actually going to get to that specifically in Mistake 10. Just for the people who don't understand what that is, what's the difference between painted and shrink cans? So a regular a regular can is, they call it painted, but it's really printed. It's printed on the metal. It's, it's like a regular, I hate using the crap beers, like a Miller Lite or something like that. But for someone who's listening to this and doesn't know, you know, a craft beer, I can't call something out, right? It's, it's like a Coke <laughs> can or a Dr. Pepper can. I mean, that's considered a painted can. And they bought five of those. So in each one, you have to, we'll talk about how many of it is, but it was a significant investment. Crazy minimums crazy on Crazy minimums. Yeah. 204000 on each. That's a lot of cans. That's a shit ton of cans. They probably still have some. <laughs> no, they've been recycled. Really? Yep. I've yep. seen that more and more recently where you'll, uh, you can tell there's a, a, there's a label over top of a, what you call painted can or printed oh, yeah. can. Oh, yeah. I know, I know breweries that are doing that right now. 
Yeah, I'm sure well, you do. Well, there's a can shortage that we'll talk about in other sections, but yeah, there's a massive can shortage. So the labels, when they first started with that design, did it change much or was that pretty much right out of the gates that was the design? That was then- it. I mean, when I got there, the artwork was done, right? The, the proofing had been done, the sampling had been done. In fact, the only can that hadn't been produced yet was the Bosch Raptor can. And that one was in process. We were waiting on that can. It was being made. And I got asked to go out to a festival with one of the owners, one of the founders in, in that scenario. He's like, hey, we've got this Boss Raptor can coming, but we don't have credit terms. And, <laughs> and we can't get them until we pay for them. Can I borrow 15 grand? Like now? Like <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm already 15 in. And we had started... Beer dudes is, is now in process, right? We're, okay. we're, it's kind of it's kind of it's going along the way. So of course I trusted him, who's one of my partners in beer dudes, and so I wrote him a check for fifteen grand. And then a year later, he goes, "Oh, yeah, I'll get you the money right after we do our launch and everything. Be up. We'll get our first launch and get you paid back." A year and a half later, I did, but I did get paid back for the cans. So I did, I did finally along the road, I got paid back that part of the money. So because that wasn't an investment, that was a loan, and I got right. paid back. Luckily, luckily. <laughs> snuck out on that I one. Snuck out on that one for sure. The name itself, how did they come up with Audacity? I asked that question. It's a pretty audacious name. It, yeah, exactly. Well, I was like, how how would you not have the audacity to drink this beer or something? You know, we, we right. played around with it a lot. The name Audacity came from one of the founder's friends. Brian always wanted to have an Audacity branded company. Something. Something. You know, okay. and that just kind of, it kind of flowed and they named it Audacity Brewhouse. There was going to be Audacity Winery, Audacity Distilling, Audacity Restaurant. Mm. I mean, they wanted to make it a big deal with no money. Audacity <laughs> Flamethrowers, like whatever. <laughs> right, right. Actually, I remember um, it was Capital before the merger, the distributor in Austin. They told me that when Guns and Oil launched with them, that that was the same thing that they said, that... The owner of Guns and Oil was this rich, kind of rednecky dude, and yeah. he had always loved the name Guns and Oil and wanted to name something that. And when craft beer became a thing in 2012, that was his aha moment. He's like, it's going to be a brewery. And then they contract brewed it in New Mexico, called it Texas, and I think it's gone now. I don't think it's uh, Yeah. <laughs> God, there's so many breweries gone. Yeah. But there's a, there's a lot out there like that. Yep. So, um, as far as the names of the beer, was that, did they all kind of flow from Audacity, or how did they pick those, you know? You know, I what the hell is a Boss Raptor? I guess we can start there. I don't know. I, I really don't. I wasn't part of the the naming convention. I mean, they had a they had a series. They, we had some specialty beers. Uh, one was called Spring Break. It was a half. When we were getting ready to put Spring Break in the can for the first time, that was the first time I had dealt with the shrink sleeve can and, and the whole process. Okay. So that's where I learned how that works, right? But then we had some other seasonals. We had a what was called you know Denton. Where it was located, it's called Little D. If Dallas is Big D, Denton wants to be Little D. And, you know, L-I-L apostrophe D. So we had a Little D series. We did some cool stuff with other companies and, and things like that. One of the one of the ones I remember the most is we did a, I can't be a collaboration, but we did a beer with kind of for a moving company called Little Guys Movers. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. And in, in fact, I'm good friends with one of the Little Guys. They're based in Denton as well. And then we did some other, you know, we did the Little D series where we would kind of try and tie it back to the community. That never went into a can, but those were those were special releases. Denton is a two-college town. We've got UNT and TWU, so it has a pretty big college scene. 
it has its version of 6th Street, which is called Fry Street. And there's a couple of college bars that when, you know, everyone was excited when Audacity opened up. I mean, it was a lot of fun in the town. We, We had a blast. One of the bars wanted us to do a beer. And we told them that, hey, we can't do a beer just for you legally in Texas. And we have to make it available for distribution. So, but what we can do is if you'll commit to buying all the kegs, guess what? We won't make the beer again. And and so they said, yeah, we'll do that. When we shipped all the kegs to the distributor, he only bought half of them. <laughs> and then he's posting this beer at his bar and uh, on the street. And all the other bar owners got wind of it. So they called the distributor and bought the rest of the beer. Of course. Yeah. And of course, of course, it's our fault, right? And of course, that's when he, you know. He's all pissed off at us. And we're like, dude, we told you, you have to buy it all. Every time we do that, you have to buy it all. That's That was one of the most interesting things that happened with some weird beers like that. Did you drink Audacity beer at home? Before I was part of the brewery? Sure, let's do, let's do both. Okay, before I was part of the brewery, uh, yes. Because I volunteered. The way I got in, as I said, is I, vol- I just kept asking, hey, I work from home. I know how to brew. I brew all grain. I want to be part and get in. So I finally got to be a volunteer on canning line, on canning day, to send there and put the impact tech on top of cans and, and stack pallets. That's a fun job. Nine hours the first time I did it. Wow. So yeah, I had low fills or I would buy beer and things of that nature in the store. I tried to support local, right? I always try to support local. And then after I was an investor, I, of course I had some at home. A lot of times I would bring it home or I would bring it to Round Rock and I would give it to friends and neighbors and stuff, but I would drink it at home occasionally. I have found that it's gotten harder throughout the years that because I taste it all day, I pick it apart. I, if I pop open a bottle of one of my beers, even my favorite ones at right. home, I'm critiquing it and right. I'm not relaxing. And so it, it's gotten frustrating. I wind up drinking other beers that I'm not as proud to drink that are somebody else's, but is what it is. But you know what? Six years in the in the industry now, I mean, and it doesn't sound like a lot, but six years for me, I don't drink that much beer. I really don't. What do you drink? Nothing? No, I uh, vodka, yeah, whiskey. I like bourbon. I do like beer. I just don't drink that much of it. I think for some reason I've undergone the same thing. And right, right now, literally, I'm taking three to four weeks off from drinking in general, but particularly like I'm just not as excited about going back to having a beer outside of, you know, a Pilsner, but bourbon, wine, I, for some reason, my, I'm being disenfranchised with the beer world overall. And I'm sure writing a book about how it pissed me off and like try to right. ruin my financial future is maybe part of it, but right. I don't know. Well, you know, the other side of it isn't, I know I'll probably get shunned for this one is I actually like the seltzers. Do you? Really? I do not. I don't like all of them. A lot are made better than others. And the seltzer world is a weird place because TABC and TTB doesn't really know where to put it, right? It's, yeah, it shouldn't it, be a brewery permit, I don't think. Well, wineries are claiming, well, because I have a winery permit. So wineries are claiming that it's theirs and breweries are claiming it's theirs. And where, where does that malt, where does that, if it's not malted, it's a sugar brew. Is it is dextrose number four corn sugar considered grain? I mean, it's all, and so no one really says anything about it. But I do like, I do like. Some of the um, the seltzers out there, and what I've seen, and we'll talk about the, the packaging deal, but what I've seen in the seltzer world is just gutted the, the beer world. So I drink a lot of seltzers when I play golf. Or- so do you have a preference? You don't need to name brands if you don't want to. Although I love doing it, so feel free. But do you have a preference between the ones that are diluted spirits or their fermented sugar? I don't drink them, so I I only know that's the ma- two main ways to make them. I couldn't, I'd probably pick them apart in a flavor lineup, but you, you know. I'll be the first to tell you I don't like any of the ones that have mango in it. Really? I'm not. A, I don't know why. And I honestly like the the truly tea versions. 
okay. better than the others. But my favorite by far is the Corona seltzer. When I buy the 12 pack, yeah. I, I really, I, I figured out which end has the cherry and then the lime and then the blueberry <laughs> on the package. Oh yeah. I can look at it and figure it out. Cause I want to drink the cherry, the lime and the blueberry. And then I, I just, if you look at my beer fridge at home in Denton, it's probably got 10 mangoes that I just try and give away. I'm like, I don't or if I'm thirsty and I don't have anything else, I might drink that. But so, is there a specific reason that you like the seltzers? Is it like a diet, different yeah, metabolizing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I love beer. I like making beer. I like drinking beer. But beer, for me, as we all know, if you drink too much of it, you start getting a little heavy in the middle section. Yep. And I've seen that. I've heard about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, in fact, me stopping drinking beer and drinking, I'm down like 25 pounds. So that's that's good for me. Yeah. And so I'm trying to maintain that. At least we're going to go to Cancun next month. So I'm just trying to maintain that. So my wife's like not ashamed of me to be at the beach. Yeah, so. right. But no, I, it's beer, it's just, I only like certain kinds of beer. I like the juicy, hazy IPAs for sure. Uh, I like the mouthfeel of that. I'm not a big California or New England IPA where it's just, there's a couple of big IPAs from the Dallas-Fort Worth market that I can't drink. I call it a pallet wrecker because it's, you know, 90, 100 plus IBUs and you're, you're done. You're, you're just done. You're going to drink that the rest of the night. But there's people that love it. And that's, that's great. Um, I have no problem with that. It's just not for me. It's right? one thing. There's not a lot of nuance in Texas craft beer. And it's obviously notable exceptions. But in general, a lot of guys, if, if they're playing with a the flavor, they're playing with a lot of it. Right. Um, and that's what the consumers demand. So it's not the brewery's fault necessarily. Yeah. But And one of those beers, is a, it's a single hop beer. Right, and it's just and still is that much of it. Huh? Oh yeah, you, you might be able to figure out which one it is, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call them out. I mean, they're a bit, they're a pretty big brewery in Dallas Fort Worth, and they make good beer. I like their stuff. It's just I can't drink that one. It's just my, my palate's done for the rest of the night yeah. or day. Right, you can't day <laughs> drink when if, you started. Yeah, you can't day drink if you don't drink all day, right? Yeah. Well, keep in mind if you if you didn't know, you're never gonna hurt my feelings if you do call out a brewery. Um, I called out many of them in my book, but I know, uh, I know, so. but in my service industry side of me, I, I play nice. <laughs> I'm not saying you should, they're I'm all saying you can't, they're all friends of mine. Right. In fact, you know, yeah. cause a lot of times I'm their crutch if they're short on pack tech or can oh, sure. or, or stuff like that. And I won't, I won't call them out. Some are better than others and they're all, but they're all my friends and nor should you. I'm not. Yeah. Drink what you like. So we'll take a little break. Before the late nineties, when you wanted to know what year Napoleon invaded Russia, You'd have to either A, pay attention in class, B, know somebody who knew, or C, look it up in an encyclopedia. Thankfully, my kids don't have to look in 30 volumes of Britannica to find answers anymore, and neither should you. When you're fermenting beer in a closed tank, you can either use the hydrometer that was invented in 1790, go check it up on Google, or AccuBrew. And AccuBrew is a real-time web-based measurement system that gives you access to your beer's fermentation metrics from literally anywhere in the world. It measures current gravity, temperature, and even clarity and compares them to the standards you set for the recipe your team is brewing. If something's off, you'll get a notification immediately. So seriously, go to AccuBrew.com, follow them on socials at AccuBrew, or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and I will truly thank you. So hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, 
With warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com or just type BreweryDirect into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. Mistake three was hire a guy to make beer instead of investing in a fucking brewer, which is something I did a very bad job of in the beginning. The Texas beer industry is obviously very incestuous, and so I'm sure the brewer from Audacity wound up somewhere. Who was he? What did he do? Or she? I don't even know that. So No, I, you know, Doug was the head brewer at Audacity, and oh. Doug Smith. And I'm still really good friends with him. And he's actually a, a, he's a damn good brewer. He um, was the head brewer at Fort Collins Brewery in Fort Collins, Colorado for several years. Okay. And that wasn't a small operation. Somehow. So that would have been long before kind of the craft beer revolution or? Uh, yeah. Or, well, because like, Colorado started way before Texas did, right? True. Okay. And so he was up there and he went to, he went to a fermentation college brew school in Georgia. I mean, he worked in the wine industry in California doing some other stuff. And, but he got to be friends with Scott, Lindsay, and somehow Scott convinced him that they needed to move to Denton and open a brewery. Now, the thing of it is, and Doug's girlfriend was from Denton as well. So uh-huh. it all got tied. And now they're married and got a little girl. But when the brewery shut down, Doug was working with me at Beer Deeds. But I got him. He was doing some consulting work for a few breweries that are no longer around, like Nakona things of that nature hmm. and then one day he came up to me and he's like hey i've got a job opportunity to go to uh, south carolina as a head brewer for a brewery that's doing very well and growing even through 2020 uh, that's called steel hands brewing in k k or kai or whatever south carolina right outside of columbia and so um I still talk to him i still make all of his cans and, and produce all of his shrink sleeve cans and stuff really like that. oh yeah there. yep Still good friends. He's doing really, really well. And so he wasn't someone that didn't know how to make beer. I'll be honest. He just didn't have the right equipment to make truly good beer at Audacity. Because, as I said, we started with so little money. Yeah, kind of cobbled together. It was very cobbled together. So, yeah, that's obviously something that made a big difference for me once I finally found the right guy to make the beer. It made a big difference in the quality. And, right. And that, that wasn't me, but was the, the short answer. So. What would you say when it comes to brewing that his biggest skill was or is, I guess? He's still making beer. He was really good at doing recipe design for sure. I mean, the Pale Ale, Bulletproof, it was a solid beer. Repercussion was a solid beer. The Sunset Lager was really good. I mean, we had to lager it just to get the, you know, you get the sulfury safes and all the other stuff out of it. But yeah, I mean, it was a, the, the recipes were really good. And in fact, if I wanted to brew one, if I had a brewery, he would give me the recipes to do it. I mean, I've got people ask me all the time, hey, can you make this beer again? I'm like, well, I'm not a brewery any longer. I do other <laughs> things. But no, he was really good at putting stuff together. Did he like making evil cream soda? Absolutely not. He hated that. But it was a line item we had to sell. So. All right. So mistake four was just brew whatever is popular instead of what is profitable. Um, and that's a mistake I think kind of all of us make where we we pick a core lineup that makes sense but we don't necessarily do it based on profitability any idea on those the the core beers that you guys had whether there was one that was dramatically more profitable as far as cost versus sale price or like a strategic play that maybe you guys should have leaned on and didn't or, or should have leaned on and did you know i didn't really get into the overall financial 
portion of what it costs to make a beer. I, I will say it's the downfall of the brewery. Doug made what he wanted. If, it, if, if A lot of us do that in the beginning. So. Right. Well, I like this. I'm not going to make that. No. It's just like the idea of going from B permit to a brew pub permit. A lot of them are like, nope, we're not we're gonna we're not gonna mess with selling wine. We're a brewery, people come here to drink beer. So if you don't have that ability to pivot to do what the market or the industry wants, bad things happen. Right. Right? You gotta go where the money is sometimes. Right. right. All right. Do you know like what your pricing was? Did you guys line price everything or were there every can different? Nope, it was line priced. In Dallas Fort Worth, we were trying to and our our, our distributor was Benny Keith. In Dallas Fort Worth, we were trying to stay with this with the market at a nine ninety nine price on the shelf, right? So we were selling that into distribution at the time twenty one bucks for a case. And then when we hit Austin, we knew that Austin was going to be a much more crowded beer market. We wanted to hit the shelf at eight ninety nine through Tex Barrel House, so we sold that at nineteen dollars. So at nineteen to them was 28 to the retailer to hit 899 and then at 21 it was 3115 I think to the retailer for 999. Do you yeah. know did uh, Barrelhouse take a bigger margin than Benny Keith did? No. I know for a lot of guys they did or in a lot of those smaller guys do they're up to like 32 33% in yeah. some cases so well I think our negotiating factor if I remember correctly was Barrelhouse did what they called the craft pack. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So it was a They unique, were very proud of that. Oh, God. It was a $15 10-pack. And the deal was it had cutouts on the packaging. And, you know, TABC label laws say you have to be able to – you have to show what's in the package properly. Mm-hmm. And so since they couldn't show the two beers in the middle, they had to have this little box made to take out the middle two beers so you would only have the outer beers on the outside of the box. So that was why it was a craft pack, tin pack, because they had to, they couldn't, even if it was the same beer that's on the outside, you have to, it, it, they, TABC wouldn't approve it. So they had to do a tin pack. That's funny. There's no way so to show them otherwise. Yeah, yeah. 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 They did really well with those for a while. And I know the HEB, our big grocery store supported the shit out of it. They did. You really saw it. In fact, I don't remember. Cause so Barrel House did it, but somehow they just, they distributed it. They even went into Houston. That's what it was. Yeah. I thought at one point that they had sent that over to somebody else, but no. the small guys in Austin who could barely cover every bar in Austin decided they were going to go statewide with a 10 pack of craft stuff. Right. I didn't think that was going to affect their Austin sales. When, when I started doing what I'm doing now, I actually called Brett and I'm like, Hey, do you, do you care if I use this box, this folding carton? Yeah. He's like, no, go ahead. You sound like a beaten on puppy at the time. He's like, yeah, you can use it. It's fine. And I, I never used it. I never did it. Yeah, so. he, he did get a lot of bad phone calls at the end. As much of an asshole as I am, I did let him off the hook without telling him he did a bad job. But I, I do think he did the best he could. But I I, I like the guy a lot. I, I have no no ill will towards any of those guys. Just the last GM that I can't remember that I told to F off. Big question. What do you think the next five years holds? And, and let me preface that by saying I think that pastry sours – are the death of the industry, and you and like slushies. yes, and slushies, and and you like seltzers. I, I I don't consider those to be as negative for the beer industry as some people do. I I think that they have taken a chunk out of the new sales, meaning that the guy who was drinking uh, hazy IPAs and big stouts didn't mm-hmm. switch to Corona seltzers, um, and, and maybe he has it from time to time, but right.
Right. There's no different than some guy who drinks PBR or Ice's fishing beer, but then also enjoys an IPA for dinner. I don't, th- I, don't, I don't think that's a bad part of the industry. I think it's a natural progression. I do think pastry sours are the work of the fucking devil. So, anyways, what do you think the next five years has for us? You know, I'm kind of at an unfair advantage a little bit because I can see all the raw material costs. I mean, the yeah. true cost costs. And I think in the next five years, if craft beer is truly going to survive the way we want it to be, the consumer is going to have to be prepared to pay more than nine ninety nine for a six pack on the shelf. Yeah, the the pricing has been artificially low forever. Like, for, I know, and uh, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, and, and Dallas is even worse. And, and I'll give you an example. I think that's actually um, a headline right there. Dallas is even worse, and just at everything in general. <laughs> <laughs> so when I moved to Dallas in ninety five, I fucking hated it, and I uh, still that's why I don't call Denton home. Home is with my wife in Round Rock. We just have a house in Denton. Well, to clarify, I don't, I don't consider Denton part of Dallas. Denton is a pretty well, cool city. Yeah, it is. It is. It tries to be a mini Austin, which I kind of makes me crawl every now and then. But and, and I'll give you an example. My friends at American Canning, we, we do the same thing, right? We sell supplies. We do packaging. We do all the materials. And, and I know this is a long way around to answer your question, but when DFW can't pay or has a hard time paying 35 cents for a case tray, then I'm going to make five or six cents on, but I have to carry 20,000 of them. But Austin's paying more, a lot more than that. And the rest of the country's paying a lot more than that. The consumer, and they're all trying to, they're, they're screaming for pennies, right? We're screaming. I've got a client who is a good friend of mine, really good friend of mine. I call him right now. And it's, you know, he was one of my first clients and what I was doing. And, um, he'll leave me for a penny. Really? He'll stop buying supplies for me for a penny. And with cardboard going up, cans are through the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'm selling a, a 12 ounce bright can right now that I have to import for 17 and a half cents. Just for one can? One can. But I, I don't, there's no tier, right? It's just take all you want at 17 and a half cents. Mm-hmm. No dunnage, don't own any of that crap back. But when cans have gone up, because when I started buying cans, they were nine cents, 10 cents for a bright can. And now it's 17 and a half. And I have to, and I'm making like two pennies. Mm-hmm. And that's just to carry my operational costs and the and the and the stock and the labor and all the other stuff. Now we still sell hundreds of thousands of cans a month, but or a shrink sleeve can. Still, the ten percent margin. That's not yeah. much. Like, no, I make I make twelve to thirteen percent margin on shrink sleeve cans and cans. But everything's going up. PackTech, the plastic carrier, they normally set their pricing for the year, and it's gone up. Every few every year, it's gone up a little bit, and, and they try to charge charging for credit cards too. So they raise that like three to five percent. Yeah, I, so. but I do. Um, I'm on terms, so I just pay ACH when it ships. So mm-hmm. I get thirty day terms, and I pay pay ACH. So I don't avoid I pay avoid all the credit card stuff. But I have to buy significant amounts of supplies, tens and twenties of thousands of dollars of material that I have to sit on to to sell the supplies. And now they've done another price increase. I mean, everything is more expensive. Can lids are more expensive. Pack tech is more expensive. Grains more expensive. So for the craft beer market to do well, the consumer is going to have to be able to pay more. The hard part is when, you, when you're battling the adjunct beers, the major ones, the InBev, Coors, Molson, Coors beers, that you can still go buy a case on the shelf from the retailer for $24.99. And you're going to say that this craft beer case on the shelf is 
$42. Right. Some people are going to say, you know what? That's a really good beer, but I only got 30 bucks this week for beer. So they're going to buy the, the shit beer, right? The, the shit made with corn and rice and stuff like that. The cheap starch, right? Yeah, so that's one of the advantages of all the, again, the, the pastry sours, the pastry stouts, the right. the blueberry cobbler sour beers, <laughs> is that you know these guys are able to get you know seventeen to twenty bucks for a four pack of sixteen ounce cans, right? And you can much easier kind of right. blend that cost in that that raised price, but trying to hit an eight ninety nine target, you're kind of fucked. Because of what Beer Dudes has seen in the last five years in the industry, the other part that's going to make the craft beer market is, is going to be you need to have neighborhood breweries. There's no major production breweries opening up in Texas anymore. We, we based our business on on the packaging side on going somewhere and canning 30 barrels of beer at, in a day. That was our average. Now most breweries are, hey, can you can you come can these 10 barrels of beer for me? I get three kegs. I can't move. Can you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And guess what? And and the market's changed to where even canning equipment has changed. We were on wild goose lines, but I also have a small forehead counter pressure line to fit in really tiny spaces. Mm. Is it fast? No. Does it work? Yeah. Gets the job done. It gets the job done. But that's the one that lets the the, the industry's going smaller, not bigger. So in the next five years, I see any brewery that's opening up, they need to they need to learn how. And this is where Audacity messed up. We'll probably talk about it later. But Audacity wanted to be that town beer, and then someone pushed us to try and be, you know, hey, we're going to be the next real ale. Don't do that. I, I think that's a mistake, right? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen naturally as a progression, right? But there's so many really good breweries in Dallas, Fort Worth, like. False Idol, Odd Muse, Turning Point, Celestial. They're small. They, they they have their following and they've got their market. And they're not trying to go out there and battle for shelf space. You know, they are battling for some tap space. But they're packaging their beer and they're selling it in-house. And they get to sell that four-pack, 16-ounce can for 20 bucks. Right? Yeah. Right. That's that's how they're going to survive, in my in my opinion, from what I see. Well, so that actually leads me directly into one of my mistakes, uh, at least in the book. This is one I didn't make. And, and in the initial, the, the first edition of the book, I actually didn't mention you by name. But you and I had a conversation about me doing canning at one point. Yeah. And I wasn't able to do it simply because of the breadth that's in all of my beers. And so yeah. even if even if it wasn't my fault that every beer you can after that was uh, <laughs> infected, it would have I would have been the one who got blamed. And then you would have gotten blamed for hanging out with me. And so I never actually canned any of my stuff. But I use some formulas in the book and I make the argument for mobile canning for most breweries at distribution is a death sentence. That they're, they're not going to have the margin. And like you said, if you can sell that shit on site, your margin's beautiful. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit, since you're way more educated about this than I am, and you might be able to make the argument that I'm full of shit, which would be fantastic to hear, <laughs> but um, kind of how that works and who benefits best from what the mobile canning companies can do. As I said in the last little piece that we started our business, you know, Beer Dudes Mobile Canning or yes, Beer, Beer Dudes Canning, as, a, as someone who wanted to go fulfill and, and package for the, the distribution size or the, I call it, my, my term is a production brewery. Sure. Someone who's really out there, you know, I think the last one that I know that really opened up in Texas, and these are great guys, and they make good solid beers, is like Texas Beer Co. and Taylor. Yep, and they can a lot. And they can, I can for them. 
I mean, we used to come down and, and camp for them weekly, and those great guys. We still sell them some stuff, but they, they've done well. And that's really the real, the last known production brewery that I know that's open. I'm sure there's others, and but I only cover my half the state, right? We don't we don't can in in Central Texas, or we don't go to Houston. We do can up in Oklahoma, but for that brewery, the one that's going to be the best, if you want to use mobile canning, I saw the market shift. I when I started saying okay. We started at a flat price. We charged everyone the same price. But then we would go somewhere and it would be like, hey, I'm going to can. And they're stretched hard to can 20 barrels because they might have like five, <laughs> 10 barrel or five, you know, 10 barrel brights or firms, right? And now they, they're going to have to dedicate 660 gallons of beer to be put in a can. So we had to change our model to address where the other market changed. Sure. Coming from the beer side, I knew that the margins were so thin, but I had to adjust my model for beer dudes to go from everyone just pays the same price for the amount of beer we can that day to a tier-based structure. With based a, on the volume? Based on the volume. Okay. And we had to, we had to go to a, a minimum day charge, right? If you're in Dallas-Fort Worth and you want us to come, we're, we're going to show up and it's going to be 850 bucks, right? Now, what? I think even when I talked to you was probably 2017, 18, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point you had a minimum of, it was either 20 or 30 barrels. It was 30. Travel. It was 30. And so that same it, concept, as long yeah. as I'm doing enough, you're going to get enough. But. Right. And unfortunately that we even had to change that a little bit to where for me to go to Oklahoma city, it's 1100, but me to go Dallas Fort Worth, it's 850. And then we tier base that backwards. So if you're in a production style, now we have some large still production breweries that don't own their own canning line. And we can for, for all of those in the Dallas world that don't. In fact, we're fixing to pick a, another one up, a different one. We got a, we've got an exciting brewery that we're going to go can for. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So when I realized that all these breweries are selling the beer inside their own tap room and not really going out into distribution... And we were coming in. I mean, we went to one brewery one day, and I will not name the brewery. They're kegging when we get there. They're not big. And they had like five or six kegs, and we hook up to the tank and get it going. We can 25 cases, I think. It might have been 15. <laughs> and you normally run, what, like 40 cans yeah, a minute or something? Yeah, we run like you know 36 <laughs> to 40 cans a minute. And we, I mean, we've got 15 million cans ran through our canning lines, right? Okay. Um, golly, I'm like, I, I looked at them, and they were new, and I'm like, hey. We can't do this again, right? Took longer to set up and break down. And, I'm, and I yeah. said, here's here's my gift to you. Today's on me, right? These these breweries, when I realized that they're not canning a lot and they're selling in their tap room and we're doing smaller runs, that's when I had to pivot my company's way it operates to say, okay, you can afford to pay $5 a case, which is still cheap as hell, according to anywhere else in the country. I mean, my, my canning rates, if you compared it to anyone else in the country, I guarantee you they're probably the lowest. And it's because I come from the beer side, not the packaging side. When it got smaller, I had to change the pricing structure. But they get to make all that money, and, which is a good thing. I'm not saying they're making bank if writing fat checks. It's just we're able to work together and, and they can sell this product out of the room and, and make the most income. Just the example that you gave when Audacity was selling cases for essentially $21 to the distributor – if you sell that on site to go buy the six pack at just quick math, you're doing anywhere from 55 to 60 bucks. And so you can afford quite a bit more to can that case. We didn't, we didn't undercut our retailers. So when we finally had beer available for in cases, when we changed from brew to brew pub, 
and we get sold beer to go. Sold at the same price inside the tap room in 99 and 12 pack. You're still bringing on new breweries and you're still growing from the canning side, um, but you've had to pivot to doing it a different way, which we yeah. all did over the last year too. But You know, mobile side, um, on, on the mobile side, we're down 13 clients year over year from 2020 to 2021 right now. Really? And it's not that they're gone or they're out of business, which some are, some are. It's that the pandemic enabled the SBA started just handing out money. Right. Lots of it. EILD money, right? right? Which they just expanded a month and a half ago. I, correct. Yeah. Correct. I may or may not have changed my amount. <laughs> I mean, it's there. I'm going to, you got to use it, right? And well, one of the problems I had with that is that if I was the one guy who didn't take it and everybody else was flush with cash, I couldn't compete. Correct. So I took it grudgingly for that reason. And thankfully it, it worked out and I use it for some advantage. But. You know, I, it's, I, I wasn't fully aware with it, aware of it, but there's a brewery in Austin that lost their canning tech and their brewer. And, um, I know that I know that brewer and he called me and he's like, Hey, can you come operate my canning line for me one day? I'm like, yeah, I'll come help you out while you figure something out. And I found the canning line and I'm like, just crazy. I was like, why is this canning line going 23 cans a minute? And <laughs> I made some tweaks cause no one knows what they're going with that. Cause next thing I'm going 40 and the, and the pack out crew's going, Hey, hey slow down, slow down. I'm like, no, we're going. Yeah. But he told me about the, the EILD money, and I, I didn't know a damn thing about it. I knew about the PPP stuff, and that helped a lot because the business was just all crazy. But, yeah, that, that cash really helped me and get through my next transition, right? I forgot where, how we got started on that topic, but... Well, we were talking, I think you were making the point that a lot of breweries got money, so they bought a canning oh, yeah, line, they did. so you lost some clients right. because you're, of it. You're correct, yeah. And that's, that's absolutely correct. They basically... We're able to buy something in the used market or, I mean, my wild goose canning lines were, you know, with the deep pal, 150 grand mm -hmm. before you buy all the add on shit that goes with it that people don't even think about like a printer and all the other day coder. Yeah. yeah. The day coder and then the pack out table and then you got to have the hoses and the valves and the, and all the just random tertiary shit that wow. people don't think about. So they're able to buy a used one or even now the little bitty one that I have. You could get a forehead with an infeed table for 65, 70 grand. When it's 150 or 100 plus, it makes zero sense for a brewery to buy a canning line that's not canning 2,000 plus cases a month. Right. Because you, it's like saying, hey, I'm a small brewery. I want to have five colors in pack tech. Or wait, I'm Audacity. I want to have five painted cans at $25,000 per order. <laughs> Why the fuck do that? If that was the biggest thing. Brewers don't understand. It's nothing against them. They know how to make beer. I haven't ran into a lot that know how to run a business. No, that's, and so, that's the purpose of the podcast. We're right. supposed to help them. And, and so here I am. I'm going, okay, I've made the investment. I carry 15 different colors of six-pack Pack Tech that you can buy from me. At, at a better pack, price. At the Pack Tech yeah. one pallet price, plus a little bit of shipping to get it to my warehouse. And you can pick between all the 13 colors. And if you say, oh, I want to have this color and this color and this color... You got to buy 40 boxes of that shit. That's 5,000 cases of six pack. So we, ours are different. We use the four packs for bottles, but right. I, there's an example in the book. I, I did yeah. that and I was, I had hit a point where I had enough kind of volume that I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to buy a pallet of these green pack tanks and then uh, winter hit and sales slowed down. And I still have a whole bunch of them from last right. year because you have to buy, I think for me, it was 17 boxes for a pallet. I think I still have 
seven or eight, maybe even nine left. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm buying anywhere from six to 10 pallets at a time every other month. So that is what enables me and everyone gets, and that's the cool thing about pack tech. I don't care who you are. You get the same price sheet I get and you can decide what your price is by how much you're willing to buy. Right. The volume you want to right. do. And so what makes it, if I could, if I, I've finally got a few breweries to understand, Hey, look, don't go waste $10,000 on four pallets of pack tech that you'll use for the life of your brewery. More than likely buy it for me, mix and match. And if you buy 20 boxes, I'll give you one free, you know, stuff like that. We're, we've done specials like that. If you guys sold ours, I would buy them from you, but ours are different. <laughs> we don't do cans, but right. Those little stubby bottles have their own unique ones. So yeah, yeah. Let's take another break. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why sell for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. So, mistake six, if you fuck up, don't dump it. Now, I'll preface this. This is something that I did not do very well. Or I did do very well. I didn't I didn't dump it. But so, did you guys ever, with Audacity specifically, did you guys ever have like a, uh, a recall or a batch of beer that you, you know, of course. should have recalled? Of course. Like, can yeah. you kind of walk me through how, how that happened? Like, how how'd you handle it? What did you guys do? Well, before we were signed with the distributor for the self-distribution, and, you know, I heard stories of we got a bad keg somewhere or, or something's going on. We got to go fix this or fix that. And I don't really remember that. The only time we had bad beer, we did have an infection one time. So you were a mixed culture brewery that day? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> you know, when you open a when you open a can of a pale ale and half the fucking can shoots out the top because it's sour. Or we, <laughs> we actually, we did a beer festival in El Paso. El Paso. El Paso. Did we, you distribute there? Yeah. So Benny oh. Keith. Oh, yeah. Benny Keith would go out there and they would take our beer with us or for us. They didn't charge us any additional. They didn't want any extra margin. They, just, they took it from the Denton Hub and they would ship it to El Paso. Wow. And so Doug and I flew out to El Paso and we're at the beer festival. And it was a great beer festival for being El Paso. It was sunny. It sleeted on us and it rained. Oh. All in the same within like an hour. But then we had a great, great festival. And he and I proceeded to just get totally hammered that night. But Which is what we all do. Oh, oh, yeah, right. But when we got there, Doug's like, let's go check the beer. And we had like three beers. I think I know we had Repercussion, which was the uh, kind of a, uh, the Bach, China, China Bach kind of beer, right? Yeah. And then we had um, Lost Raptor. And they were all fucking sour. All <laughs> of them. Everything was sour. And this is when the sour craze was starting, right? With the Gozas and other, and other shit like that. And I'm sitting here and, I, and I'm looking at Doug and I go, what am I going to do? 
I just said it's a sour German style Bach, and people drink it. <laughs> we should have recalled all that shit. We never got any more beer out there, and really, Audacity was on the way out at this point. I mean, I knew how it got in trouble because of the investor that was going to try to get some money, but I knew when when Scott left. Scott left in January of seventeen. The writing was on the wall, right? At that point. Oh, yeah. it was on the wall. And with my business, of having businesses and other stuff, I'm trying to help Doug. I said, we're going to figure this shit out, right? We'll figure it out the best we can. We should have recalled a bunch of beer, but we didn't. We didn't. He didn't have the money. He didn't have the ability to really get it, right? Did you get a lot of negative feedback online or any of the rating sites or anything like that from it? Did, yeah. Did it almost go off as it never happened? or It went off as it never happened, nice. right? We didn't... Um, I, I was managing our untapped account and, and stuff like that. I, I didn't I didn't battle too much. I didn't I didn't see too many negative things. People were just like, I'm not buying that beer again. Mistake seven was trust distributors to sell your beer. Bullshit. One of those <laughs> one of those areas like, and I use the example that when, when I was starting I kinda my you're sitting in this space, so it'd be funnier to hear me say it here, right. I think, but my actual plan was I was the dude that sold a bunch of anytime fitnesses and so I had some cash. Um, I wanted to spend time with my wife and young kids. And so I was going to come in yeah. like Monday, yeah. make beer, um, you know, maybe one other day, transfer keg, carbonate, whatever, um, yep. you know, clean, clean tanks, and then just sort of leave the beer uh, next to the roll up door and the distributors come get it. And then I wouldn't work again till next Monday. And then that was it. And that was the whole concept. And I learned about 14 minutes into that, how stupid that idea was. So for you guys, did you ever self-distribute? In the beginning, they did self-distribute. Okay. Man, I'm feeling really good right now because I was at least realized that I needed to invest in a brewery because I couldn't fucking do it myself with my life. Yeah, right? no, I, I, I had more money than brains at the time. <laughs> and now I've got way more brains than money apparently, but it is what it is. Yeah, kind of like an aviation deal. How do you start with a – how do you make a small fortune in aviation? You start with a large one. Yeah. Right? right? The, the, that joke's told many times in the beer industry It too. is. And wine. Is. I've heard it in wine as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although wine seems to be a little bit more. I think we've had three wineries in Texas go out of business completely, and they all reopened to something else immediately after. So I know too much about the Texas wine industry, so I'm just going <laughs> to leave that alone. <laughs> like a <laughs> – Right. I don't mean that as – I'm not saying that as a flex. I'm just saying that when I started canning wine in Texas, I learned so much about the Texas wine industry. There's so many wineries that just don't make wine. So – yeah. A lot of, lot of massive and major contract winemakers out there. And I work with many of them, so I'm just going to leave it alone. All right. We'll leave it there. But so talking about the distributors you have, we mentioned uh, Barrel House earlier. And, and Benny Brett, Keith. Yeah. And, yeah. and then Benny Keith. So yeah. the way you had split it up essentially is Benny Keith had the state and Barrel House had Austin? No. Um, Benny Keith had Dallas-Fort Worth area, I believe Wichita Falls and Barrel House had Austin and San Antonio. We hadn't done distribution rights for Houston yet. We were looking at that. The distributor piece was done before I was involved, right? I was more involved with the with, – I didn't really mess with the Benny Keith side. I would meet some sales reps when when it came to be Doug and I, and we had a sales rep for a little while. I would go meet some Benny Keith reps out in the Dallas-Fort Worth market trying to break into some places and things of that nature, but uh, not that often. And – I'm going to call it the way I see it, right? Vinnie Keith 
and the and the Fausts and the Andrews and all these big big distributors, they all lead in and they ask the question, say, how much Budweiser do you want? How much Coors and Miller like? Oh yeah, I've got all this other beers available. Here's my book. Pick something. When they go sell to an account, right? Yeah. Right. They're not going to push your beer. They're just not going to do it. And in fact, I've had clients or potential customers saying, I've tried to order your beer, but they never fucking bring it. They said, oh, you need to do this or that. I think the best, and I don't know them all, and I'm going to speak from experience here, but I think the best craft beer distributor in Texas, especially when they were smaller, was Full Clip. And, you know, originally, and, and they've helped me out so much with clients and new things and, and speaking positively about beer dudes and our packaging services to clients. As we'll talk about the, in the mobile canning world, how the demographics and how the, the state of Texas has changed, right? But they did a great job, but now they've got so many craft breweries. I don't even know how they do it very well, but I don't, I don't buy from them and I don't have any current experience with them. I just know that they've got a lot of brands. And they're doing a pretty decent job, I think, also in Austin because, you know, I have a lot of good friends in the, in the beer world, obviously, and uh, some of them are telling me, we talk about stuff, and some of them are telling me good things. And I know one guy had to fight to get his rights back because then, then the brewery that I'm talking about here that had to get his rights back so he could start self-distributing to maybe survive. No longer around. Hmm. That sucks. Yeah. So full disclosure, Full Clip is my distributor okay. for most of Texas. So. Yeah. I make a habit of only talking really bad about the guys I'm not with anymore. And I'm so. not talking bad about them. I, and I, I hope what I conveyed was positive because I don't have anything negative to say. I just know that when they started, they were trying to be certain size and now they're much larger. So. Yeah, I meant the opposite that if I did have something negative to say, I wouldn't say it. But I like Joey and those guys and they do a yep. great job. They yep. are definitely strongest in Dallas and they do a really good job up there. They are struggling to recreate that depth of what they did there in some of the other markets, but they're getting there and they're definitely investing in infrastructure. And we deal with the same problem that we do with every distributor sure. that how do I get their sales rep to pay attention to my little brand? Mm -hmm. And you know, admittedly, it's a struggle daily. It's one of those things that I'll have a fantastic week. I rode with them up in Dallas three weeks ago, four weeks ago maybe, yeah. and then I did Houston the following week with them. Yeah. And immediately sales went up and all of a sudden accounts were happy to see me again. Isn't it funny how that happens? You yeah. go make some sales calls and things go up. But I think the one thing that I hate when I was doing this with the distributors, when you would go in and I could sell a new account and they go, oh, we're going to put you on our rotator tap. Right. And then they want you to come do a pint night. And so. For and one they, keg. And they <laughs> bought a, you know, maybe they bought a half barrel, right? So instead of a one six where you get 50 beers. That, you know, oh, we bought a we bought a half barrel for whatever they're charged at the time, and then I need to bring in and, and bring in a couple of cases of pint glasses, and then I need to come in and buy a beer. Next thing you know, I'm fucking paying them to sell my beer. Yeah, not counting your time. Right, right. Now, if I'm at home, it's, you know, I would do it. At, I did one at Hop Dotty and Round Rock. I did some other stuff like that, but and it's a one time purchase. Yeah, and you may get on the list, but you right. probably yeah, right. maybe months. So we talked about Barrel House earlier, and obviously they had some struggles and they did go out of business. Honest question, how much of their struggles do you think translate into Audacity's struggles and potentially why they folded? I want to be real clear. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> All right. Zero. Fair enough. I mean, Audacity was Audacity and Barrel House was Barrel House, but I, I can't put any blame on Texas Barrel House or Benny Key for why Audacity's gone. I have my blame. I know where the blame is. I'm not going to let you off that easy. Where, where was the blame? Okay, so 
I said earlier that Audacity wanted to be that local town brewery, right? Yeah. And the city of Denton made them go into, because they were the first brewery, made them go into what's considered light industrial environment. We were trying to be downtown Denton. And they were like, nope, you have to be light industrial. Because you're a production. Because we're a production shit, right? We had the same problem here, actually. So we got that. We had to get over that hurdle, which we didn't. We had to go to a not conducive to town being on the square, right? And then um, we met, I say we, not I say we as a, as a company, not not me. We met an investment company that's in Dallas, in, in Denton, that was buying and had all of the, they were big in restaurants. And one of these restaurants has an amazing patio where they can do a sunset toast. Oh, that's cool. And the way the sun went down, it's overlooking the square. And so, yeah. so they brought in our Sunset Vienna style lager. And they gave away every night, just I mean, like a little bitty one ounce thing of everyone do a Sunset Toast. Sunset lager in the sunset? Yeah. That's not yeah. bad, though. And you're over, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's overlooking the square on See, a nice that's not Dallas. I told you, it's not. <laughs> it's not Austin either. It's no, trying to touche. be. It's not. It's trying to be. So the investment company that owns that, and then we did some other stuff at their other restaurants on the square, and, and that they decide, hey, Audacity's amazing. We want you to be the real L North Texas. So without having all the funding, Audacity decides we're going to scale up. We're going to buy cars. We're going to get staff. We got. 60 barrel firms we're buying we increased our kegs from like 300 to a thousand which i'm going to say 600 of them never saw beer but we were paying three dollars a month on the keg lease per keg so they really on a cash poor brewery just shot their big fucking toe off yeah and then that deal fell through they never did it i mean they gave us some front money and then uh scott left the deal kind of changed they did a cram down on all the investors. So my half percent went to quarter percent because they crammed everyone down to 50% of what they had. They bring in new money? The deal was to bring in new money and the contracts were ready. The loans were ready. The money's ready. They were giving us, I think it was like three quarters of a million dollars or something like that. Well, why would they cram down their value if because it wasn't a payout anyways? It doesn't. I'm were, not... the, the cram down was because originally they were going to take share equity from Doug and Scott and leave the other 10 or 15% investors alone. Hmm. But then when they, and, and I told Doug, I'm like, Doug, the deal was ready to sign. Scott's gone. I said, Doug, you cannot go in here and fraudulently do something where you don't, you don't divulge to them that your partner's gone. You have to be honest because yeah, I know I'm going to. And so he <laughs> did. And dude, that just train wrecked the whole deal. Now it train wrecked where they decide we're still going to give you the money. We're going to do the deal. It's just now this is our brewery. Now we're going to own 65% of it, cram everybody else down, leave Doug with like 30% or whatever, or 25% of it, and then we'll give you the money. Everything was done. They gave us a little bit more cash to float by. And then at the 11th hour, they're like, we're not doing the deal. Sorry. And they turned around and they bought a uh, building on the square on the top floor. They did something over there. But we had all kind of plans with them. We were going to do um, a satellite brewery. Now, we had to do the light industrial. The city actually changed their position on that when the second brewery in town opened. That's Armadillo L Works. They were, oh, they, they were there. Yeah. Bobby, Ar- Bobby Ar- is a really good friend of mine. And Audacity lobbied against them changing the 
ability, the, the zoning to let them do it. And it's not because we didn't want them. And it's not because we were for enemies or anything, because that's the neat thing about this, unless unless you're the brewery that you go back and forth with. <laughs> we all get along, right? They let Armadillo come in and they changed that. But we were actually working on another project with the same investment company to do something called Oktopia, where we're going to have a restaurant, a music venue, a small brewery inside. I mean, we had the plans drawn and everything in the brew house. I mean, this was moving along and all of a sudden that stopped. Was it on Oak Street? No, it, it's called Oktopia because there's a lot of oaks and they used to have a music festival there. Huh. It's down at the, uh, shit, I don't remember the name of the street. I know where it is. I live there, but I don't remember the name of the street. It's near like the Mellow Mushroom Pizza Place and it's in that little area down by East Side and Oak Street Draft House. It's yeah. kind of in that little section. Big, big piece of open open land. And we should mention Ben's Bottle Shops right there too. Oh yeah, yeah. Bearded Monk, of yeah. course, and and. and Ditton County Brewing, Seth. I mean, these are all really good friends of mine. So Seth's cool. I like that guy. I, yeah. You know, they won uh, small business of 2021 in Denton. Really? They sure did. Oh, I, congrats, I walked Seth. in. I know. I walked in right after they had sabered off some champagne, and I got to drink a little champagne with them and tell them congratulations. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's cool. Super, super group, super cool group of people down there. But no, so the investment company just bailed on us, and then they bought that, and that was the final nail that just killed it because we needed the money yeah we needed the money bad especially if you thought you were going to get it start yeah. behaving as if so so doug and i limped it along until our third birthday party and this is no shit we have our third birthday party and we shut the doors the next day <laughs> i'm not kidding but you know so many good friends and and still i mean one of the guys that worked for us at audacity works for me at, at beer dudes and uh, he does all of my production and our co-packing plan and stuff I was happy that we were able to give him his first job in the industry. And then he kind of bounced around and did some few things. And he was driving really far for really shitty pay. And I'm like, well, if you want to get back home and stay here in Denton where you live, you know, I need this. And so he came to work for me about a year ago, almost a year ago. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's so it's such a great beer family. I mean, we still got a Facebook group called uh, Brew Family. Really? Yeah. And we, we've tried to do a, a, a reunion every now and then. So we, we had a program at Audacity based on check-ins so you could come in check in you didn't it didn't matter how much beer you bought come in and check in and when you got to have a hundred check-ins you were a gold member and we would buy you a mug oh that's a cool. custom yeah. mug and the mugs originally started out pretty cheesy but then at the end they started getting really cool like one guy had an elk horn and you know like a ram horn or something was his mug and all those mugs transitioned from audacity to Denton county brewing and they're still there Oh, really? And so now you can go in and you can request your mug. My mug, I took my mug to the house, but... You drink more there anyways? I, I don't drink out of the mug. It's a backup <laughs> coffee cup for me at this point, right? <laughs> that works. Mistake 8 was build a small, intimate tap room. I'd never been to Audacity, but I did look at some of your online reviews, and that was a complaint someone had. Was your tap room small and intimate? No. Really? Compared to yours? Well, I have the most small and intimate tap room in the world. This is why I wrote a book on how not to do it. No, but. I'm going to tell you, that tap room was, it was 1,500 plus square feet. Really? Yeah. It had enough people. You, It was not small. It had a really cool copper top, bar top on it. It was one of the first breweries I saw that had the industrial big pipes that came around like this to do your tap, your tap wall. Oh, yeah. The walk-in cooler was directly behind it. We had a massive patio off to the side, tons of. Tons of space. Another 2,000-plus foot patio with covers and a music amphitheater where you could play music and stuff. It wasn't 
in my opinion, it wasn't small at all. Yeah, I should go find that review. I don't remember what it was, but fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys do food there? We did not. In fact, we offered snacks, and then we struggled like hell to get a food truck there on Saturdays. I, I don't know why. They're the most nothing against the food truck environment, but some of the ones that we kept trying to deal with were like, "Oh yeah, I'll be there," and they're like, "Never, no show." Yeah, well, if you read the second edition of my book, I obliterate food truck people because I can't get them to work here. I, and I'm sure in Austin, San Antonio, it's much easier, but I've had nothing but bad luck to the extent yeah. that from now on, if someone asks me, I always say, yeah, sure, show up. And then I know they won't. Like, it's, it's a joke. But Well, it's the, it was really part of the demise where people would show up and you're already – so let's take the typical party of four. Not everyone's going to be a beer drinker. You're going to have one person that's a non-beer drinker that's taking the hit. Right. To let your friend, their friends drink some beers. So that's why we went to brew pub so we could at least offer wine and other things of that nature. But food is the other downside. We had a book and a menu of places that would be happy to deliver. Of course, it's all pre-COVID. So it's like you had pizza places and a few other little joints that would bring it to you. But food was the number one thing that got people, made people leave. They right. wanted to go eat. If you look at our sales, there's on Saturdays, the best time to come drink beer here is 6 o'clock. It's a massive dip in, in revenue. And it's every Saturday. It's like clockwork. And it's literally just everyone going to go eat. Right. And they'll come back. It starts to pick right. up again about 7.30. But they, they always leave. I mean, we just don't have room to do it. There's literally nothing I can do. I mean, but. I even got to the point where I was like, shit, I'll just go get my friend's big smoker. And I'll just cook brisket and make barbecue sandwiches or something. But then we would have had to have the food permit and all the other. Which we had a food permit for having the, having the retailers. But it was just other hurdles I didn't want to go through. Yeah, no, I agree. So you and I talked a little bit earlier um, before we started recording about beer reviews and Untapped and all these other sites. Yeah. So mistake nine was give every fuck you have about online beer reviews, which I don't have that many fucks and I gave way more than I should have. But we were talking about Beer Advocate, Untapped, um, yeah. Rape Beer. You said you managed the Untapped. I did. At um, the end, yeah. What were what was the feedback like? Like the, I didn't really manage it from the aspect of following up on reviews online mm -hmm. i would i would have someone who would say yeah i got a i got a sour beer i'm like dude i'm sorry i'll make it up to you somehow I swing by we'll give you more we'll do you know whatever trying to trying to keep the positive vibe going on online but the real reason that i was managing untapped is i was this was right when the television menu stuff came out and so i was getting us to where we had tvs in there Nobody was watching the sports or the other shit that's on there, especially when we had music in there on Saturday. So I wanted to have a beer menu. So I was doing it from the beer menu and, and stuff of that nature. Oh, the where you could integrate through the right verified place or whatever. Chuck, yeah, people can check in. They can yeah. see their name go across the screen. I was trying to make it more interactive in that aspect. Yeah, we did that for a couple of years too. And then literally right before COVID, I decided it wasn't worth the 600 bucks, but right. only, only because of that, like the, the financial side. But, you know, it's funny. I know I know one brewery that will remain nameless. Their number one check-in beer is their water tap. They got a beer thing on there, and it's water. And I was talking to him one day, and he goes, yeah, this is the – he goes, untapped, removed this, like, three times. And then someone will re-add it, and it's the number one checked-in beer. And their beers are amazing. They're, they're really good. We'll also, you know, knock you on your ass if you ain't careful. So, they use plenty of two-row at this one. Yeah, a little oh, high yeah. alcohol. Oh, yeah. Well, their blonde is 8.2. 8.2. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And their their stouts are get you. Yeah, great beers. In fact, that's the only time I've I've had a uh, can a line tech come back drunk. Now he wasn't driving. 
But of course. You, of course. No, yeah, he, right. he wasn't. He was nowhere on my insurance. Not – yeah, this is the guy that I had to show the young, the young line tech. He was older. He was way older than me. High-functioning alcoholic, obviously. <laughs> I had to show my – I don't know if functioning is proper. Uh, <laughs> he made it, anyway, I guess. Yeah. He, uh, he would come and steal beers on the low fill side off the packout table, and I had to point that out to the line lead. I'm like, look, he's doing this. And he goes, don't look at him, but watch. And sure enough, he goes, holy shit. He walked over there and grabbed a beer. And I, when I saw him grab it, I met him in the back of the canyon. And I said, that's not yours. Give it back. But he came in, and he got out with a four-pack or a three, a three-pack of a six-pack of that blonde. <laughs> and my son, I wasn't paying attention. My son was there, and he goes, hey, he's hammered. And I was like, holy shit, he is. And I said, hey, how many beers do you have today? He goes, two, boss. And I went, I'm not the fucking police. Don't lie to me. He goes, I've had four. I went, you realize this is an 8%. You know, You've had 12, basically. <laughs> they made me shotgun it. And I'm like, nobody made you do anything. An 8% beer? Oh, yeah. They that's, they love to shotgun there. We like to shotgun at Bearded Monk and DCBC, too. So I have actually shotgunned on the steps of the courthouse in downtown Denton with yeah. Ben from oh, Bearded yeah. Monk. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was his idea, not mine. But <sighs> Yeah. Super cool guy. Yeah. No. that's And, and so I'm a... I am an industry guy, but I'm definitely not necessarily what you consider a beer guy as far as my palate goes. I've only shotgunned three times, and that was one of them. So. Well, when he makes this, when he wants me to shotgun, of course, he wants me to shotgun a 16-ounce fucking Montucky. <laughs> Montucky. <laughs> I think they're in, tw- oh, they have a seltzer now, don't they? I have no they idea. They do. You should I get on that. One of my friends, uh, you, you may or not, I mean, uh, Toast Brewing, Toasty, oh. Toasty Bros. I've he, heard of it, but I don't know who that say is. He's yeah. a real small, He he's a super... Cool dude. He made a beer and it had a rainbow on it, and Matt kind of made a, a pun at Montucky and Montucky sent him a C and a really yeah C and D on it. Yeah, that's a badge of honor at that point. Well, it's just like when we, you know, that, that's just like another brewery that in the Dallas Fort Worth area that makes all of their employees sign an NDA. I mean, a non compete. Oh, really? Uh huh. And the brewery that I bought that went out of business got in a huge legal battle with that brewery because he hired a, a brewer out of there to run his brewery. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why, why are you doing this? Because let's be honest, old town brewing is not going to affect community in any way. No. Right. It was just a shot because of that brewer. He said, well, I want $80,000. Now everything I'm going to say I got from the old owner of old town. It's not firsthand knowledge. So he's telling me, he goes, yeah, he wanted $80,000. Which, just for the record, was originally Cobra? It was Cobra. So you got Cobra owned Old Town. Just, just so we got the, all the so drama. Cobra, right? Cobra <laughs> stopped when the father-in-law and the son-in-law got in an argument. And he's in the son-in-law's like, fuck you, I'm out of here. Took all the recipes, which is an okay thing. Right. <laughs> and took, took the name, took all this other shit, and left. And now you got Bill, who's a super nice guy, holding a brewery that doesn't know how to even make beer right so he hires a brewer the brewer leaves community and now and now community's suing a little bitty 10 barrel old town for 80 grand and so there was back and forth legal battles and it, it just it, it just wiped wiped them out that's really stupid I, i've always been a, a i don't do non-compete simply because if you have a brewer working for you that guy needs to brew like that's his career. That's, that's how his he job. makes a lot. That's how he makes a living. So to try to say he can't work within seventy five miles or, or whatever kind of like random stipulation you want to put on there, he's got to move. Yeah, I, I mean, you, we don't pay enough. I, I get it. If it's a three hundred thousand dollar a year operations manager gig somewhere, but right. for forty grand, fifty grand, like 
You let the guy get a fucking job. Like, it's stupid. And and I was like, it's, it doesn't happen every time. He picked and chooses when this happens. Now, for the record, community is not one of my clients, and I'm not being ugly about community. I just don't, I don't operate my business the same way. They're successful. They're way larger than I am. Congrats to them. But I just can't, I, I, I can't take someone's livelihood away from them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's ridiculous. So back to beer reviews really quickly. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no problem. Give me your honest opinion of Untapped. I don't use it. How about that? Why? Because here's Untapped. And I'm on the uh, Craft Beer Professionals Facebook group. And, we, and this has said over and over and over and over and over again, nationwide, everywhere. We all hate it. Yeah, we all yeah. hate it. Because what happens is you have a guy that comes in. And he's so stoked about being here and has all these positive things to say to you and tell you, like, dude, this beer is fucking great. Love it. And he goes over there and gives you a two stars, like, says it tastes like a palate or, you know, something, you know. Yeah. Tastes like a biscuit or, you know, just stupid. He was like, oh, Cicerone, are you? I don't put any stock or any value into Untapped at all. Everyone thinks they know beer. And I'm not saying I'm an expert in any shape, form, or fashion. But everyone's palate's different. If you like it, great. Say something good about it. If you don't, say, you know what? It's not for me. I'm not saying it's bad beer, unless you know it's an absolute bad beer. Yeah. I, I'm not going to go. Someone's not going to like a Goza. I like a Goza. Someone's not going to like a hazy IPA. I like a hazy IPA. But you know what? I don't like an amber or a red beers. I don't I don't drink many amber or red. Now, it's the first beer I ever made. Is an amber? Because it's fucking easy. Right, it's yeah. an easy beer to make. Right, I made a brown. Yeah, I there you go. Yeah. I, I remember a story when we started canning for Prairie, and they're making Prairie Bomb, and they stop. If I now this was five years ago, so I'm going to remember as best I can. But they stop Warlock at they stop pulling off at 23 Plato. It's either 23 or 25. They stop. They can make all another beer at that point. And so they were talking. I was talking to Zach. Zach's going, I got to figure out how to make a fucking brown ale all, all this leftover grain. Because they mash in 10,000 pounds. Some crazy number. Oh, like yeah. For, it's a 50, it was a 50-barrel brew house. I mean, they're massive. Right? It was a big, big deal. Multiple silos. And you, you can make a great brown ale, but they never could figure out the recipe. <laughs> but yeah, brown, brown ale made me think about that, how easy of a beer it is to make. It just means dirty beer. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it, it's just the reviews. Everyone's different. And I'm of the opinion, don't don't try and wreck someone's livelihood either, right? I'm not going to go shit on your business unless you've truly done something bad. Like my last bookkeeping company that I had, I shit on their business. Well, they do to you. They filed my 940s and 941s anywhere from two days late to a month late and then told me to pack sand and I had to go pay a $1,300 fine to the IRS. Just because they didn't do their job Because they time. didn't do their job. Now... For the record, I did get my money back because when I finally got so pissed off about it, I left a really shitty review on their Google reviews and the owner called me. And so we talked about it and I sent him all the emails and he did give me the money back. But it's like the staff that I was working with on this, they told me basically F off. So you had to get to the owner, which you could, didn't have which the I number. Did. And I so, did. Yeah. I, I, I did know the owner. In fact, I don't want to go down that rat hole. It's just, <laughs> all right. It takes a lot for me to be pissed off at a company, right? All right. I get it. So, obviously, we all hate Untapped. What do you think about uh, Beer Advocate? Who? Remember that one? Nope. I mean, I've heard of it. I don't use it. I, I can, I don't know anything about it. So, that was the good one back in the day. Oh, uh, yeah. You actually had to rate it with specific aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, finish. Like it was it was a little bit of a structure to it. Right. Well, last year, Untapped bought them. So, now they, oh, that's great. they suck anyways. Now. <laughs> so, last one of the mistakes I wanted to go through is don't figure out how to manage cash flow. 
And since you mentioned it earlier, let's just run right into the silo at uh, Audacity. So no way Audacity was making enough grains or making enough beer to justify a silo's worth of grains in inventory. You think? Yeah. So how, how did this come about? Did they just decide they needed it for decoration or? No, no. We bought the silo unassembled. Oh, shit. And then we assembled the silo and then put it on the loading dock pad outside. It's still standing there today. Really? We actually sold it to a brewery when we left. That brewery will rename nameless. But we sold it to a brewery, and it sat there for two years. And then the brewery now has a new silo. But they just left it? They left it. That's nice. $7,500 gone. It goes back to when we were talking about the investor and the investment company that's trying to make us grow. Oh, sure. Did we need 60-barrel fermenters? Absolutely not. On a it was a ten barrel system, right? Uh, it's either ten or fifteen. I really I know it wasn't a twenty. It might have been a oh, it was a fifteen barrel brew house with a ten barrel mash tun or something like that. Oh, I mean, yeah. when we would mash in, we're like <laughs> at the top, and it Max was the it. weirdest thing because it was just, as I said, straight. You would think it was like a, a it was just open, straight up open, big wooden paddle. I mean, it was tons of. We should have been a wild. We should have been a farmhouse brew house. It was that crazy, right? Yeah. Learn Should from I? me. <laughs> Do it all wrong in the beginning and just go sour. Makes it much easier. Uh, but, you know, the cash flow portion of it, we didn't need to spend $100,000 on five truckloads of painted cans. We didn't need to buy cases or pallets of Pac-Tech. We didn't need to buy 10,000 auto lock case trays printed on oyster, oyster corrugated because, because Doug had to fold case trays one time and he's like, fuck this, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I mean, because you got to go buy that. So I've learned so much more about the corrugated world now. You got to go buy the dye. You got to do all this other crazy shit to make all this crap. Yeah. And I own, Beer Dudes owns probably eight or 10 dyes, and they're anywhere from $700 to $1,300 a piece or more. And uh, so we have the dye, we have all this other shit, and then now you got to store it. So it, they didn't, we didn't need the silo, but that was just a, that's a run before you crawl. Yeah, try to look as if, essentially. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that they did the drawdown on the equity position that everybody had for the investors, but did, were there like just a ton of loans coming out? Like how, how We had some credit lines that were out there. We did have some financial stuff, and remarkably, remarkably, it all got paid. Really? Yeah. The only thing that didn't get covered that I'm aware of was the, was the lease on the kegs. They got the steal back, probably, so it's fine. They got most of it. Right. And then, God, the cram down, the cram down got such negative feedback, of course, from everybody. But we had this one investor that had never been to the brewery, but was an ex-employee's brother in Colorado, something and blah, blah. And he would just rip on social media, just rip. And then, um, so I started. One of the investors? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, And he had. He had the same amount of money in it that I did. And he's just screaming on social media. Was it Henry? <laughs> he, he did a, a Google review where that's all he said. One star. Doug basically fucked me over. Like that, it's um, on Google right now. You can go look it up. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so I actually talked with him for a long time. And I, I tried. I'm like, look, dude, I'm doing everything I can. We have the same investment. I'm doing everything I can to save it. No one's trying to screw you over. There's not a, there's not a malicious one well, everybody else got screwed too or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. So I didn't have to send him a letter, but I told him, you know, so after audacity was closed and gone and done, he came over to beer dudes, Facebook page 
Started doing the same thing. And he did, left me a one-star review. And I got on the phone with him. I said, hey, dude, let me, let me tell you something. You got no skin in this game. You're not allowed to do this. I was able to get his in, and I said, "Do it again." And it's it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm I'm not gonna play this game. I know you don't like Doug. I get it. You should be just also mad at Scott. Scott left. Scott left before all this was going down. You know, Doug did. We, Doug and I did what we could to try and save it. It didn't work. Sorry. It's an investment. It's a risk. It's like right. buying Bitcoin. He apologized, and I explained to him. I said, "Look, let me explain something to you about Beer Dudes. Beer Dudes is my company. Yes, Doug is a partner of mine. Scott was a partner of mine." I funded it. I'm the one that's responsible for all the equity, the loans, and all the stuff like that. Doug and Scott, we're going to be sweat equity. You just don't play this game. You'll lose. And he, and he apologized, and he said, all right, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll leave your dudes alone. Well, that's something. Yeah. But on the, the cash flow portion of it, man, they, they wasted so many things. They, they, they tried running before they were even really walking or crawling. They had a few good years. I mean, the best year ever. They almost did a million dollars in revenue. Audacity could have been successful in a better location, you know, location, location, location. And with, if the tap room could make, you know, 25, 30 grand a month, it's that time frame when Texas said you could sell beer instead of having to do a pint, right? Or you had to buy a pint. Uh, you could buy the pint glass for $10 and you have to do, you could give them up to three pours or something. Right. If we had to sell a tour or whatever. Right, right. And I, I used to do the brewery tours uh, whenever I was at there. Finally, I got to do the brewery tours. It was so hilarious. We'd get everything set up and I would ask the first question. I'm like, all right, who's been on a brewery tour before? You know, a handful of hands would go up and I go, this will be a brewery tour like you have never seen before because we're small, we're tiny, and this is all cobbled together. Yeah. You know? I wouldn't say it that way. I forget what I had a saying or something, but it was really that my brewery tour was about how can I get these people to drink beer and laugh? I would right. tell them the story. I would tell them how beer is made and all the like, fun things about it. I think it was my biggest, my best line was, all right, here's to piss and farts, right? <laughs> and they're going, what? And I'm like, well, you know, it's the fermentation process makes alcohol, which is piss and the CO2, which is farts. So congratulations to piss and farts. And then it's kind of set the tone. Uh, we're, we're just going to party and have fun. Yeah, today. like, yeah. oh shit, what's going to happen? And then we'd start sampling stuff out of tanks and it was more informal because I went to I went to some of the brewery tours in Austin before I was doing that. And really, it wasn't very informative. It was like, all right, this is a boil kettle, this is a mash tun, this is where we water, this is how you know we get our grain. That's a bright tank, and you know that was about it. Where I wanted to tell them, here's how beer's made, but that has nothing to do with cash flow. It was just how you know, right? You know, just a tangent on how how fun stuff we had. We had so much fun up there. It's just. Well, I feel like back then, people, like the customers that came in, actually cared about how the beer was made more so than now. I just don't see that the same way. Like, There's definitely people that ask to you know, learn the process or to come back and see the brewery, but right. it's pretty rare. Like, this, It's not very often. So. Right. Some guy wants to open a brewery. What's the one piece of advice you want to make sure you give him or her? Oh, God. Whatever amount of money you think you have, triple it. Or need, <laughs> triple it. Triple? No. Uh, I mean, let's... I mean, if you think you need... As I said... Audacity started with less than three hundred thousand dollars. Beardy started with four. Yeah, and then a year later, uh, another two because I we went to another canyon. And then I learned the lesson about starting with enough money because when you know, so Beardy's isn't a brewery per se, but we're now co-packing. I've seen the pictures. Obviously, you have all the equipment. Yeah. So when you buy it, when you buy an entire brewery, and you're able to move that. I mean, I, I still got such a good deal on that brewery. I feel, I feel guilty, but it's the only thing that really made it plausible. 
It's because he had to sell it in one piece. The bank wouldn't mm-hmm. let him sell it piecemeal. So someone had to buy the whole thing. Someone had to buy the whole thing. And I was the only person kind of hanging out that he knew that was in a position to want to buy a whole brewery. So I bought the whole thing. And it's living its best life for sure right now. <laughs> it's living its best life. I moved into 10,000 square foot space. And I thought, okay, well, we're just going to put all this together. We're going to set up the glycol system. We're going to put in a floor drain. We're going to have some hot water. We're going to. And then I, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm looking and I said, and then I put down four and a half thousand foot of epoxy flooring. I thought I was going to be able to do it for a number and it was three times more. And that's doing most of the work ourselves, which is a lot of work, a lot of work. Well, we moved into the current place on March 1st, 2020. The world changed two weeks later. Yeah. Right. Right. We didn't still hasn't changed back. (laughs) Not quite. You know, everywhere I've been going, it seems to be like, I mean, I went to a restaurant last night and there was not a single face diaper in the place. Yeah. There was a few. It depends where you, get, yeah, where you go. Yeah, I was in Round Rock. I thought I, I thought I had enough money and I had to, I had to find more. I had to dig up more, right? Mm-hmm. Just because everything, you budget for it, you can't budget what you can't budget for. You don't know until you get in there what right. your shortfall is going to be. Right. Yeah. When you're told your floor drain is going to cost your 50 foot floor drain is going to cost you twenty five to fifty thousand dollars, you figure out how to do it for eleven. <laughs> when your glycol system building your head loop and all that, they're telling you it's going to be twenty five thousand dollars. You figure out how to do it for nine. You just figure out how to do stuff, and that's really the the pinnacle of what this industry is. You know, look look around here. You you have to put you figure out how to do things. Yeah, right. even the steam lines for my thing, I got quotes from between fourteen thousand and twenty nine thousand. Yeah. Depending, same thing, same length. Right. I didn't have seventeen thousand dollars in the budget for epoxy flooring, but I made it happen. That was really the the part that ties my whole place together, right? As a beverage co-packer, yeah. I want people to walk in and say, "Holy shit, I want my beverage made in here," right? Because it looks good. That was not budgeted for, but. It, Made the made the room. Well, it makes cleanup a lot easier. It is important. Yeah. So. Well, and, and it's like I did build out. I had I had some money in build out, and I had to pay everything over the budget for the build out, and tons of waste in the original build out. And then they hand me a bill for what I thought would have been about ten or twelve thousand dollars. They hand me one for thirty six. I told them to pack sand, and we had to go back and forth on that. But you know, I it, the final bill came out at twenty seven, and I and I had it budgeted twelve. So you just got you, you don't know. You just need more money than you think. Yeah, it's never enough. No, I mean I have the entire environment to build a brand, to build a beverage brand, and I don't want to do it just because I don't want to have to figure out that. I'd rather make the beverages and hand them to someone else to go sell. There's your piece of advice right there. Right there. <laughs> that, that's it. Well, I'm going to take a bathroom break. If he were interested in anything his old dad was interested in, my son would say it's something like. Y'all need to be fucking with PR. Your booze business is more than just an online profile. Fine, keep doing your limited can release and your meet the beer tender posts, but it's time to think bigger than just cheesy marketing. Better, more professional. Brittany Hanning has years of experience turning big ideas into targeted communication in the beverage alcohol business, and her PR firm, Made to Measure Communications, can tighten your image with expert services ranging from AI generation all the way to media relations. See, people in this industry love to talk about the importance of branding and media outreach, but don't kid yourself for a second. You need an expert to navigate that stuff. So go to the website at M2MCOMMS, M2MCOMS, look them up in San Francisco, or just ask me for Brittany's number. But seriously, stop screwing around and get your image right today. 
He's not drinking beer right now. I'm not. And no. I'm normally not drinking beer, but I am sitting in here, so I've, I'm a bad influence. I, I accept uh, that. I, I'm okay with it. All right. So, what's the worst beer you've ever tasted? PBR. What's the best beer you've ever tasted? Uh, I'm a big German Hef guy, and this beer is not being made any longer, unfortunately. But my favorite one would be the Hef called Shed Silo that Gavin made at Three Nations. I don't remember if I've had that one, but I remember the beer. Yeah. In fact, I ask him every time, because I still sell him supplies, labels, and cans, and all that stuff. I'm like, damn it, you're not buying yellow pack tech from me. That means that you're not making Shed Silo. It breaks my heart, but hmm. that was my favorite. Sometimes just market doesn't support it. It sucks. But... And I also picked that beer because it's no longer made, and that way no one can get pissed off at me. Ah, there you go. So what mistake would you add to my list of the 10 that you think should be on there but wasn't? Have you had a um, sanity check? <laughs> I don't think if they did, they wouldn't even be opening a brewery. I think. No, I, you know, I guess people jump into it. I mean, they need to understand that this, this is not an easy business. It's fun. Everyone thinks when you open a business, you're going to sit back and make fat checks. It doesn't happen. can't happen. Just takes way more work than people anticipate. Yeah, a lot of luck. Yeah. Uh, what would you say is your number one regret so far? My number one regret. Man, I don't really live by regrets. I mean, I make a choice and I kind of stick with it. I don't know how to answer yeah. that one. You don't have I mean, one. Don't I, don't have one. I don't have one. Not that I can think of right now. Did you still love beer off the clock? We kind of touched on that earlier, right? I'm drinking. I'm drinking a couple of beers today, but and I do like beer. I might have one on the golf course or something or, or that, but I'm just not a big beer drinker. So, who do you think is more of an asshole, me or you? Me. Why? I just do. <laughs> I, I I guess I don't really have a problem. Everyone's a badass on social media. They're all keyboard warriors. If we're willing to say something, I'm willing to say it to your face. I might get punched. I haven't yet. But if I'm pissed off about something, I don't really, or I have an issue, I don't have a problem not saying it. Does that make you an asshole? Just some people. I think it makes you honest. Well, some people probably think I'm an asshole. <laughs> I don't care. Well, good. You wouldn't be an interesting person if at least one person didn't think oh, you're an God, asshole. Oh, God. I know there's a, I'm sure there's a lot. Well, I can. I, I, I know a few people who think I'm an asshole. Maybe my ex-wife and some other people like that. But. So why do you think it's so hard to be profitable in the beer industry? Because everybody wants to buy a $24.99 case of beer, and they don't understand that craft beer is not made with shitty adjuncts. <laughs> And can't be that price. Sure. Right. John, I really appreciate you coming down. This is a Saturday. Obviously, your day off and that you spent it with me means a lot. Hey, it's fun. Yeah, I had a good time. I really appreciate the information. I think you've shared a lot, not just about Audacity, but even about you know, beer dudes and all the, the things you've been through and the things you're doing in the industry. I just I really appreciate the insights you gave us. And thank you for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Hey guys, I want to thank you for sticking around. I appreciate you spending time with my guests tonight today. A couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that my book is available on Amazon, both on Kindle and in the paperback. And you'll see probably about another month, there'll be an audiobook. So if you don't like to read and for some reason you're burdened with loving to listen to my voice, you will get more of that um, in that audiobook. But again, thanks for sticking around and I look forward to the next podcast. Uh, peace out. See you soon. Free play. Media. Media.